We're going to turn to God's Word. Um, I thought this would be the last one in Colossians, but it's not going to be. There's one more, I think. Thank you, Lord, for showing us what you want us to see in your Word. And so let's just come before Him. Let's ask God to teach our hearts so that we'll know what He's saying to His church. That's you sitting here this morning. Let's pray. Lord, as we come again to this wonderful book, your word, your very words, your thoughts, the thoughts of God revealed to us. Thank you, Lord, that we don't trust in your word, but we trust in you, the one who's given us your word. And so we trust in your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and read what you've said to us here and know that this is how we are to live. This is how we are to direct our paths. And then we can stand on that. And thank you that you don't just leave us there, but that you help us to live by your word, through your spirit, to the honor of you, our Father. Thank you, God, that you're amongst us. And Lord, I pray for every single person sitting here now, that you would speak to our hearts. Touch us where we need to hear your word. Cut into us with the very scalpel of your word. Do that surgery in us, Lord, so that we will be healed to be more and more like your son. Change us, we pray. Amen. Well, turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading the rest of this book, verses 7 to 18. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to 18. There's a few names thrown in here. So you'll have to track with me today. There's a bit of information that has to come your way so that you can try and get to know these people a bit better. Because when you get to know them better, then you will see your place in this church as well. And so let's look at this passage. Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 to 18. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. This is the, the Apostle Paul speaking. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Where's here? In Rome, where Paul is. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. So don't get mixed up there. This is not Jesus, the Son of God. This is a guy called Jesus. Nickname, Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. And Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. 
Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Can you imagine what life would be like for you, specifically, if you were paralyzed? If half your body didn't work? Quadriplegics can function and have productive and meaningful lives, but they're limited in what they can do. And modern technology is really helping them in that regard and trying to minimize that, those limitations. But you know, churches can also limp along with only half the body functioning. And churches could do so much more if every member was fully engaged in serving the Lord in line with his or her blessings and giftings given to you by the Lord himself. The text that we've just read is one that we may be tempted to just skim over as the conclusion of Paul's letter. He's written the main body of the letter and now it's just the goodbye and the greeting stuff. Anyway, it's just a bunch of names of people. Then we don't know them, they don't mean much to us, and so we may even wonder why has God inspired these verses to be in his word at all? They're not there by accident. Well, here's the main idea, and I'll give it away right at the beginning. You're listening, hearing aids on. Christians are on a team devoted to serving Christ Jesus. You're a Christian here today, you're on the team who are here to serve Christ Jesus. You heard, of, heard all about teams in the past now, wouldn't we? As we've come through this local COVID. You know, even though the Apostle Paul was one of the most gifted men in the history of the church, and he was, he was not a one-man show. The Apostle Paul was part of a team of faithful people who devoted themselves to serving Jesus Christ. And in this text today, we're going to learn a lot about this team and how God wants His church to function. And so that's why we're going to look at them. And it's striking in this letter where Paul devotes only a single verse to lust, a single verse to greed, one verse to anger, one to wives, and one to husbands, thankfully, and one to fathers. He spends 12 verses on a greeting. So there must be importance here. Paul clearly wasn't the only guy doing ministry. He was part of a team. And we, we, we're going to learn six things only this morning. There are more, but I'll stop with the six. Firstly, the church, that's you and I as believers, if you're a child of God, if you've been born again, the church is not a one-man show, but a team effort. So you might think this guy's up here with a t-shirt on. He's got the job. He's got to do it. Sorry to say this isn't a one-man show. We're part of a team. And yes, Paul was a player coach, because he was in a way. But he wasn't the only player on the team. There was Tychicus. Who was Tychicus? Anyone? I looked on Facebook for their profiles just so I could have some photos, but I couldn't find anything. Sorry about that. 
But Tychicus, Paul calls him in chapter 4 verse 7, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant. That's his description of Tychicus. Who was he? Well, we learn from Acts chapter 20 verse 4, we've got to look wider now to see who these people are, right? And I've done the homework for you, you just need to take notes. Tychicus was a Gentile, a non-Jew, and he was from Asia Minor, Acts 20 verse 4. And he had traveled with Paul at the close of Paul's third missionary journey, fellow traveler with Paul. He was obviously trustworthy because Paul sent three letters with Tychicus to the churches of Ephesians, Colossians, and and a letter to Philemon. And he sent him all the way back from Rome to Asia with these letters to bring them to the people. We also learn that Tychicus was later sent to relieve Titus in the, on the island of Crete. Remember when Paul came to Crete, he left Titus there. And Titus was to... Um, work with the church there to appoint elders and to bring that church up to scratch. And so he sends Tychicus back to give Titus a bit of relief so that Titus can come to Rome and join Paul for a while. And then later, as Paul faced the end of his life in prison in Rome, we see that Tychicus again was sent as a relief pastor to the church at Ephesus this time. And there he has to take over Timothy's pastoral role. So that Timothy too can join Paul for a bit of um, time with Paul. And so that's a little bit of Tychicus. There's not much more. And then the second person is mentioned is Onesimus. Onesimus accompanied Tychicus on his trip. He's a fellow traveler. But Onesimus this time was a runaway slave. He had run away from Colossae up to Rome, and that's where he had come under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Look at God's hand at work. And so Paul led Onesimus to Christ during his house arrest in Rome. Interesting, isn't it? And so Paul was now sending Onesimus back to his master in Colossae, and that's a hard thing because he could face the death sentence. He was sending him back to his master and saying to him, go back to your master, take this letter to Philemon with you. I want Philemon to read this letter because when he sees you, he might be angry. Here's the letter from me. If it hadn't been for that private correspondence to Philemon, which later became public, we might never have known just through these words in, Coloss in Colossians that Onesimus was a slave at all. Because Paul calls him our faithful and beloved brother who is one of your number. You see how he looks after Onesimus? And then we have another Aristarchus is his name. You can see the, um, the Greek influence in their names. When you ever see a C-H-U-S at the end of a name, it's a very Greek-influenced name. But this man, Aristarchus, is actually a Jew. So Paul calls him my fellow prisoner. So guess where he is? In prison with Paul. Why? Because Aristarchus had been grabbed by the angry mob at Ephesus when Paul was preaching there and he'd been dragged into 
the arena during the riot that took place because of Paul's preaching. And that's why he landed up in prison with Paul. But he was a Jewish believer from Thessalonica who had traveled with Paul and who had helped Paul initially take the financial gift to the needy saints in Jerusalem. When there was a clamping down on Christianity in Jerusalem, the saints, the saints scattered. And great hardship came on the believers in Jerusalem. You need to go and read about that in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 20 specifically. And when these believers were in need, a gift was gathered among all the other churches to help them in Jerusalem. And so Aristarchus was one of those who went with Paul to take this gift to Jerusalem. So that's Aristarchus. And he, he had gone through the shipwreck with Paul. He was one of Paul's team. And then tradition says that he was martyred by Nero later in his life, and that's the way his life ended, as a martyr. So that's Aristarchus. And then another name we learn about is Mark. We know about Mark. What did Mark do? Yes, he wrote a book in Scripture. The start of life is a big success. You see, we learn from this specific passage that he's the cousin of Barnabas. Who was Barnabas? The one that went with Paul on all his travels. So he's a cousin to Barnabas. And we're surprised to see him on Paul's team. Why? Because there'd been a bit of rumble. You see, Marcus, early on in the mystery, got afraid. When all this pressure came on Paul because of what was happening, Paul was preaching and the people were rioting, Mark got afraid and he ran away. He deserted Paul. And so, for a while, Paul didn't want anything to do with him. He didn't want him as part of their team. This is the Apostle Paul talking about, a man like you and I. So Mark had deserted Paul on his first missionary journey. But when Barnabas insisted on giving Mark another chance on the second journey, it led to a split between Barnabas and Paul over Mark. And this is the man God used to write a book in the Bible. Mark, the deserter. But it's the same one that Paul speaks about here, 12 years later, saying, you Colossians, welcome Mark without reservation. Take him into the fold. I'm not against him any longer. He's a fellow worker with me. All is forgiven. Great, isn't it? That's Mark. And then we have this man called Jesus with the nickname Justice. Well, he was a Jew too. And Paul calls him a fellow worker for the kingdom of God. Along with the other two Jews, Mark and Aristarchus, these, Paul says, have been an encouragement to me. We know about justice, nothing. That's it. He's an encouragement to Paul. And then Epaphras. Where have we met Epaphras? Anyone know? Beginning of the book of Colossians. He's the one that went to Paul, talking about the Colossians and the problem there. Oh dear, I'll have to do some revision. Next week. So Epaphras, we've met, he was converted and discipled during Paul's extended stay in Ephesus when Paul rent, rented out a hall in, in, in Ephesus and he gave lectures there. Epaphras is one of the ones who came to Christ during that time of preaching. 
And then Epaphras returned to his hometown of Colossae, and there he started the Colossian church. But he didn't just stop there. He planted another church in the neighboring town of Laodicea and another one in Hierapolis. So he was a church planter. But when problems arose in these three churches with false teachers, Epaphras was the one who traveled back to Rome to ask Paul's advice on what, how to deal with this problem. And Paul calls Epaphras a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And he commends him for his prayers for the churches and for the concern that he has for these churches. And then we come across another person. Luke. What have we known about Luke? Come on, you must remember Luke. We did a whole series on Luke. Who was Luke? He was a? He wrote the book of Luke. He was a? Physician. All right. How do we know he's a physician? Colossians tells us that. This verse. He was the beloved physician, says the apostle. And we know he's a Gentile since Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus Justice were the only from the circumcision, which means they were the only Jews. Luke was a Gentile. He was an author of great repute in the Bible. God appointed him to write nearly a quarter of the New Testament, a Gentile, the only Gentile to make a contribution to Scripture. And so he wrote nearly a quarter of the New Testament. He was also with Paul on the missionary journey, which included Paul's shipwreck on the way to Rome, and he's the only co-worker with Paul when Paul is nearly about to die, when he faced execution. And then the last one in this group we come to is a man by the name of Demas. Paul says nothing in this verse to commend Demas at all. In contrast with all the other ones, he's, he's said they are fellow servants, they've been an encouragement. Demas, he just says Demas was there. You see, in the past, when he'd spoken about Demas, when he wrote to Philemon, he'd called him a fellow worker. But here in Colossians, he says nothing. Maybe he had the seeds of knowing what was happening in Demas's life because later on, in the book of 2 Timothy, written after Colossians, this is what Paul writes about Demas. 2 Timothy 14. Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Maybe he could already sense this man's heart isn't in the ministry because the world has attracted him, distracted him away. And so there's a warning through Demas about the possibility of defection of believers, even those involved in the work. But there's also encouragement that those who may have been deserted and deserted the faith can come back through Mark. So in addition to this mixed bag team that Paul has surrounding him in Rome, we, he also speaks to two other people who are in Colossae and Laodicea. And here's a lady mentioned, Nympha. Who was Nympha? Well, she seems to have been an, a well-to-do woman who had a home where she hosted the church at Laodicea. So she was a well-to-do woman because they were the ones who had the bigger homes who could sponsor the church to be in her home. And that was Nympha. There are 16 other ladies mentioned in Scripture in the New Testament who were involved in ministry. And then he mentions Archippus specifically. Who was Archippus? Well, he seems to have been the son of Philemon, the slave owner. 
And he was the one who was looking after the church um, at Colossae while um, Epaphras was in Rome. So those are the people Paul addresses. What does he say to Archippus? He just gently exhorts him to fulfill his ministry. You see, Paul wasn't the only worker working here. There was a whole team involved in this effort. God has gifted every member of the body of Christ, and He expects you and I to use our gifts to serve Him. That's the summary. Bench warmer is not a gifting. I want to repeat that. On the team of the Lord Jesus Christ, bench warmer is not one of the gifts. None of us are called to warm pews. Instead, we are to be part of the church in serving Christ. And we're going to look at that now. Secondly, we see here that this team of men and women came from different racial and socioeconomic backgrounds. And I'm just going to go through these quickly. We've already mentioned Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus Justice. They were all Jews from the circumcision. And then the rest were Gentiles. Now, so what? Well, it's not so what. In the first century, when Paul was living here and writing, that was a big what. Because the division between Jews and Gentiles was immense. The governors in Rome were having the times of their life. They wished they were elsewhere because of the Jews. Jew, Gentile. And the racial divide between these groups was radical. But in Christ, it was erased. You know, I wish... I've just been to the Hui. The Baptist Hui. I'm sorry to say this every time. I wish they'd read this verse. That in Christ, we are one in Christ. There is no race before Christ. Yes, we're all different in Christ, but we're one in Him because of Him. That's more we're going to say about that now. Paul mentions men from opposite ends of the professional spectrum. There's Luke the physician, Onesimus the slave. Paul instructs the church to have this letter read in the congregations. Why? Because some people could read, others couldn't. And so it was a verbal letter which went out. All these people were part of the churches. It was a diverse team that included Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, educated, uneducated. When you look around us in this community, are we all the same? No. We all come from different ethnicities, backgrounds, countries, job backgrounds, educational backgrounds, language abilities, reading abilities. Look at us. What a big bunch we are of different people. But we're in Christ. Same as in the church at Colossae and Laodicea. You see, in Christ there is no distinction, says Paul, between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman, but Christ is all and in all. We're part of that glory, that miracle called the church. You see, in normal life, if we weren't part of the church, we might be at opposing ends of things. We'd probably be a bit at loggerheads because we all do things differently, think about things differently. But in Christ, there is... Different, we are different, but one. Thank you, Lord. And that's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has, came, which has come and made a home in us. 
and change that old nature into a new one, which is in him. And so I'd urge you, Wanganui East, to befriend people who come to this church that you wouldn't naturally gravitate towards. Not everyone thinks about motorbikes all day. Befriend someone else. Have, have them over for dinner. Share your stories of how you came to know Jesus Christ. I did time with some um, friends recently, and that's what they talked about. How did you come to the Lord? It's fantastic to hear people's stories. We're encouraged in our own walks. On Sundays, deliberately, and I'm going to be checking afterwards, not your type. Speak to people you haven't spoken to before. Get to know them. You see, you might as well get used to it now. Re Revelation 7 verse 9 says, When we're in heaven one day, we'll be gathered there in heaven with people from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. So we might as well get used to it now. Yep. We're all on the same team. Thirdly, a short little point. This team is the family of God. Other places in Scripture speaks more about it. But what do we see here in this passage? We see that Paul, the once, the once zealous Jew, calls a Gentile, Tychicus. Now that's a statement, because Gentiles were worse than dogs. He calls him, my beloved brother. He calls a converted slave who was a nothing in society, he calls him, my beloved brother. See the change the gospel brings? In verse 15, he asks the Colossian believers to greet the brothers in Laodicea, who are very different to the church in Colossae. And this is all reinforced in the New Testament by the truth that we who believe in Jesus Christ become the family of God. How? We are born into His family. And then we're adopted into His family. There's a double connection. Romans 8.15 says we are adopted, we are adopted sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And so we are family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Look around you again. There's a lot of glancing around now, please. Your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Love them. Fourthly, every team member is a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ. Paul refers to Tychicus as a faithful servant and fellow bond servant in the Lord. Now, bond servant is better translated bond slave. One who, whose very life was bought by the master and that all was driven through his ear into the doorpost of the door to say, you now belong to this house. If you walk away from this house, you die. You do not exist. We are bond slaves of Christ, every single one of us. He has bought us at a great price. He has made us His. He's so Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus Justice are fellow workers for the kingdom. Epaphras is called a bond slave of Jesus Christ. You see, none of these workers, now please listen, none of these workers were what? They were not serving Paul. Who were they serving first? Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to hear today. There are churches and mega churches where the people who go there go because one person is in that pulpit. I'm not going to mention any names. You know. One person is in that pulpit. 
And when you ask people, where do you go? I go to this one's church. What's the danger in that? If that person walks away from the church, what happens to that church? It crumbles. If that person falls in sin, as has happened often in Christian ministry, what happens? Division. Church splits. We don't serve people. We do, but we serve Christ first. They were all fellow servants with Paul, fellow bond slaves of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says in Colossians 3.24, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. You see, it sounds basic, but it's not. It's essential. He is the one who gives us the ministry to serve. And so he is the one that we serve first. He bought you with his blood. You serve him as your master. And then serve each other. So that's the church as slaves, bond slaves. Fifthly, this team is focused on prayer and the word with the aim of helping every member stand mature in Christ. There are four words we need to pay attention to here. You're still with me? Prayer. Word, mature, Christ. Prayer, word, mature in Christ. And by mature, I don't mean old and experienced. I mean having grown into Christ and becoming mature. You see, he says, Epaphras, here's an example for you. He's always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. That What's he pray for? That you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. What was Epaphras praying for, for these Colossi believers? He was praying that they would become perfect, mature, complete in Christ. How? Through the preaching of the word, through listening to the word, through obedience to the word. And then through prayer. Epaphras was laboring for them in Christ. The word used here is the word we've looked at before, agonizo. The word we translate in English, agony. He was in agony for these believers. What does the word agony mean in the Greek term? It means to, be in, to wrestle in hand-to-hand -hand combat for people. My dear believers, are you in prayer for, just look around you. For one person here. I speak to myself as pastor. Are we in hand-to-hand -hand combat for my brother, for my sister, against the powers of Satan and those who would bring them down? Just one. Hand-to-hand -hand combat. With the Lord doing that in us. Are we in prayer? You see, we're so used to prayers, just that little short thing I say. Prayer means hand-to-hand -hand combat, fighting off Satan before Lord God Almighty, who can answer and does answer our prayers. What a difference it would make if we were in hand-to-hand -hand combat before the Lord for our fellow believers here. What would God do in the midst of us? And what would he do with us into this community? What's all this to point to? It's... We, are, we want to see people in spiritual maturity in Christ. You see, the word of Christ is linked inextricably to the Son who gave it. As we preach the word, as we pray for people, as we see them serving the Lord, they become mature in Christ. 
How do I know that? The Bible says so. Colossians 3.16. This, this is what Paul's prayer is for the believers. I pray that you would let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through it, so that you become mature in Christ. That's what Paul was praying for. And then, sixthly and lastly, these team members would often disappoint Paul. Have you ever been disappointed by the believers? You haven't lived. People disappoint us. Family members disappoint us. Believers disappoint us. They say they'll do something, they don't. You see, here's a sober dose of reality. There's encouragement with Mark, who started by failing but ended faithfully because God did a work in his life. There's a warning with Demas, who started well but ended up walking away from the faith. Both people let Paul down at some stage in their lives. Why did Demas walk away? Because he loved this present world. My brother, my sister, there's a warning. Don't love this present world more than you love Christ. You will fall away from serving the Lord. And as you fall away from serving the Lord, you will let your fellow brothers and sisters down. We'll pray for you. We'll try and bring you back. But you will be letting us down. And more importantly, the Lord will be on your case. I can't put it any plainer. The Lord will never let you drift away. He will bring you back. He will turn the ass's head. And that takes pain. But He will bring you back. He loves you that much. Don't drift away. And my fellow church, if you're serving the Lord here, don't be surprised if some of your teammates disappoint you. We've been through things in this church where people have been here. There's been ruptures between people. They haven't sorted it out before the Lord. And what happens? After a while, there's no talking. And then they slowly drift. And then they're out. Don't even attend church anymore. Sad. Be warned. They too started well. I want to bring three points of application and then we're through. Very, very shortly. First one, are you on the bench or on the field? In practice, not in theory, in practice. What's the definition of a sports team? X number of people on the field exhausted, while 35,000 people who need the exercise sit watching them. Where are you? You're part of the team, you can't get out of that. If you've been born again, you're part of the team of the church. Are you on the bench? Are you actively involved, building up this body? If you put your trust in Jesus Christ and receive new life in Him, you're on His team. There's no going back. Christianity is not a spectator sport. We've got a lot of spectators in the Christian faith today because they come and go and nothing else happens. Takers, not givers. Where are you, my friend? Are you serving the Lord first? There's a solution. 
Serve the Lord first, then serve His saints. Because as you serve the Lord, you will serve the saints around you. Make your ex excuses before Almighty God. You know one we hear quite often? I don't want to be tied down to fixed duties. Lord Jesus, as a believer, I don't want to be tied down to fixed duties for you, Lord, because I want to do my thing a bit. What does that sound like? What's the difference in the church? Who are we serving? As we stop making excuses, as we start serving each other, the Lord will continue to grow us into maturity in Christ. Secondly, are you in prayer agony for someone? Hand-to-hand -hand combat for someone. Go through the directory this week. Choose one person, just one, and go into hand-to-hand -hand combat for them. Your brother, your sister in Christ. And what do you pray for? Lord, make them mature in, in you, Lord. Give them a heart for you, Lord. May they love your word. Make them mature in Christ. Make them like you, Lord. And then lastly, I appeal to you as a pastor here at this church. I ha I'm not part of a mega church. Just look around you. All right? Ten years, no mega church. I haven't re written any books that I know of. Fulfill your ministry in Christ. My ministry before the Lord is to see you, my fellow believers, together with the leadership team here, together with my fellow saints here, to see you mature in Christ. That's my sole mission. As long as the Lord keeps me here, that's my sole mission. Fulfill your ministry in Christ. What is that ministry? Do you know what that is? Well, my friend, where are you serving? You'll soon know what your ministry is. Just start with something. Fulfill your ministry in Christ. I look at, excuse me, Beth, she's going to not forgive me for this now, but I look at Beth walking on her, what are these Ferraris called? Zimmer frames, uh, Zimmer frames with wheels. A walker, sorry, with your walker. I see Beth walking around with her walker. But this lady here is a prayer warrior before the Lord. She's in disguise. Claudine Kitson, who many of you know, and she's going to hate me for this too. What an encourager before the Lord. Quietly in the background. Colin McGrail, long legs. What a server. Have you ever been down? Who's around? Colin comes and says hi. He comes to mow the lawns when you've forgotten the, prayer, the lawn roster. He can do it twice your speed, but that's Colin. <laughs> Rosalie, our administrator. I don't have that gift of putting things into categories and to organize things. It's just not me. The Lord has brought us strength to our church. Someone who works at the background, Sue's going to hate me too, painting away in the background in the, in the warm sun, making the place look neat. God has given us this facility. And there are many others if we start looking at names. The team that God has put here for His sake so that we can be a witness to Him, to each other and into this community. Where are you? on this team. Serve Christ, and as you serve Him, you will serve each other. And when you do that, you will serve into the community. Lord, use us as a church.
Amen. Lord, each of us have been saved by you at great cost. Help us not to throw that away, Lord, and to turn our backs on the duty you give us to do before you. And what is that? To be a bond slave to Christ. Lord, help us to serve you with all our energies. To give everything we have back to you in service of you. To look around us and to serve each other because we are serving you. To love each other, those around us, because we are loving you and you are in us. And Lord, when we love each other and serve each other in this way, then you use your church into this community which so desperately needs to hear that you can bring a change into their lives too. Lord, use us, Wanganui East Baptist Church, in this town of ours. But Lord, start your work in us first. Bind us together with your love, for your service, for your glory, we pray. Amen.